Well, thank you again for joining us. We're so glad that we have all been able to gather together for worship today. The deist view of God is that there is a creator. There is a God that kind of started things, created things, but God is very disconnected from the world now. Uh, God very much is just kind of hands off. It's like he, uh, you know, wound everything up, got all the parts working, and then stepped back and has no involvement in this world now. But that's not the God that Scripture says that we have. Uh, we have a God who is intimately involved in our lives, uh, in our world and in our personal lives, right? Uh, scripture repeatedly talks about that, the nearness of our God, the, the involvement of God in this world. And isn't that good news for us? Our daughter Anna has a print hanging on her wall. Uh, it comes from a page in uh, a book titled Near which is from Sally Lloyd-Jones, and it's a retelling of uh, the words from Psalm 139, and it's about God's nearness to us. And the, the page that she has hanging on her wall is, He is near me, and He protects me. He sees me, and He knows me. And we use that as a guide in our, in our nighttime prayers as a reminder of that. Uh, we use that to fight fear in, in our home as a reminder. If we're, if we're worried, if our children are afraid, if, don't forget that this is true. God is near. God sees us. He cares about us. And we need to be reminded of that, not just as children, even as adults. We need to be reminded of God's nearness to us. And so our sermon today is titled, The Nearness of God. Uh, it comes from Luke 12. If you'll turn there with me. I'm going to read the first 12 verses, and then I will pray for us. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Meanwhile, a crowd of many thousands came together so that they were trampling on one another. He began to say to his disciples first, Be on your guard against the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing covered that won't be uncovered, nothing hidden that won't be made known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in the ear in private rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. I say to you, my friends, don't fear those who kill the body and after that can do nothing more. But I will show you the one to fear. Fear him who has authority to throw people into hell after death. Yes, I say to you, this is the one to fear. Aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies? And yet not one of them is forgotten in God's sight. Indeed, the hairs of your head are all counted. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. 
And I say to you, anyone who acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. But whoever denies me before others will be denied before the angels of God. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Whenever they bring you before the synagogues and rulers and authorities, don't worry about how you should defend yourselves or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that very hour what must be said. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We confess your word is true. Help us believe it and help us live lives changed because of these truths. Open our eyes today. Remind us, encourage us, help us feel your nearness. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So in these 12 verses, what we see is Jesus teaching his disciples. Uh, Three short sections are found here in these. And in each of these sections, there is an instruction from Jesus to his disciples. This is how you should live. Like as one of my followers, this should be present in your life. And then followed by that, there is a statement of truth about God. A statement for us to hold on to uh, as we live out the lives that Jesus has called us to. These truths about God should help us. Uh, as we try to pursue a life of obedience to this. See, what we believe about God should impact the way that we live. Paul David Tripp uh, has a book that came out this last year titled, Do You Believe? And he's written it for that purpose to help us see that what we say we believe, if we truly believe it, it should have an impact on how we live, on how we think. For example, he says, we say, because he, he admits Christians struggle with this. We may confess the tr- that this is what Scripture says. I believe that this is what it says. But what we struggle with is then actually being able to put it into practice in how we, how we live in response to it. So, for example, we say that we believe that God is sovereign and good. But when trouble comes, we panic as if no one is in control. Or we allow ourselves to question God's goodness and love. We say that we believe in eternity, but then we get caught up in expending our time and our energy and our money on the temporary pleasures of the moment. And so Tripp goes on to argue the truths that you actually believe are the ones that you live. The truths that you actually believe are the ones that you live. What we say we believe about God should change us, should change how we live. And that's a good reminder for us today as we look at this text. Because this text has Jesus instructing us how to live and then holding out for us truths about God that should help us live like He's calling us to. 
So the first truth I want us to see about all of these are going to tie into God's nearness. Uh, because it's so important for us. That should change us. Uh, the first truth about the nearness of God is this. The nearness of God helps us fight our hypocrisy. The nearness of God helps us fight our hypocrisy. If you remember last week, that was uh, what uh, the text was addressing. Jesus was having to address the religious hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the scribes. And so now we get to verses 1 through 3 and we see this. Meanwhile, a crowd of many thousands came together so that they were trailing on one another. He began to say to his disciples first, Be on your guard against the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing covered that won't be uncovered. There is nothing hidden that won't be made known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in the ear in private rooms will be proclaimed on the rooftops. So in verse 1, we have the instruction of what Jesus is saying of how we should live. The crowd is growing to a massive number. Thousands of people are pressing in, trampling on one another, trying to get to Jesus. And Jesus turns to his disciples. These are to the people who've committed to following him. These are the followers of Christ is who he is speaking to. Which means the instructions that he gave them are instructions that apply to us today too. As followers of Christ, these are things that we should live out. These are uh, commands from God for how to live. And so the first instruction that he gives to his disciples is... Watch out for hypocrisy. Watch out for hypocrisy in your life. Having confronted the religious hypocrisy of the religious leaders, last section, he now turns to his followers and says, don't think that you're immune to that. Watch out for hypocrisy in your life. Living one way in the presence of man, but secretly having a life that is in opposition to God. He says, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees or the yeast of the Pharisees. Uh, leaven spreading throughout the entire dough. He uses that in multiple times in his teaching, Jesus does. To say, this is something that can spread and contaminate any one of us. Watch out for the hypocrisy that the scribes and Pharisees are known for. He wants his disciples to understand they are not immune from living a life of hypocrisy. And he says, don't live like the Pharisees. Don't live like the scribes. And then in verse 2 to 3, we get the truth about God. The truth that's supposed to help us fight against hypocrisy. And that truth is, there's nothing hidden from God. There is absolutely nothing that God doesn't see. There is nothing that God doesn't know. 
right? After telling them to watch out for hypocrisy, he wants them to know God's, the word for this is omniscient, right? Omniscient meaning all-knowing. God knows everything. You can't keep a secret from Him. What you've uh, done in the dark, God knows. What you've whispered in the innermost room of the house where you think no one is around, no one could hear this, God knows. He knows everything that has happened. And so this truth should help us fight hypocrisy. We need to be reminded of this. Uh, when we're trying to live a life of obedience and we're tempted towards sin, we need to remind ourselves, God sees, God knows what I am doing. And that's not intended to be a, a, a shame uh, on you. It's not intended to be like, uh, a, like, is this what you really want to be doing if Jesus came back right now type thing? I've heard people speak like that. And he's not using it that way as a shame on you. He's using that for us to say, if there's nothing hidden from God, he knows all things then a life of hypocrisy where we put on a performance in front of some and then we have uh, a life of sin that we're just keeping hidden and refusing to confront, we're living in opposition. And God knows that. God's fought to bring you out of that. And so put it away. Don't live a life of hypocrisy because you can't keep it hidden from God. This truth should help us be honest about our sins. But we're not good at that in the church, right? We, we don't like to admit where we have faults. Uh, none of us, I'm not saying y'all aren't, I, we aren't good at admitting our sins, at confessing where we are uh, sinners. We don't want people to think less of us in the church. We wonder what will they think if they knew about this. But if we know this, and we know that God doesn't want us to live in hypocrisy, we can confess, we can be real and say, I, I'm struggling with this sin and I need help. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Peter has uh, reminded the children of God, you are called to a holy life. You are called to be holy just like God is holy. And since that's true, then get rid of these things in your life. And one of the things that he said is hypocrisy. Rid yourself of hypocrisy. Put it out of your life. Don't live that way any longer. And so church, for us, let's remind ourselves of this truth about our God. Right? As we're tempted towards sin, as we're tempted to not address the sin in our lives, because we might think, well, it's just something I'm thinking nobody else knows uh, or it's just something i'm doing where nobody else is around 
let's remind ourselves about this truth from God, this truth about God, that He sees all things. He knows all things. And so let's use that to help us fight against that idea of thinking, it's probably not that big of a deal. Right? We can fight against sin. We can fight in the moments of temptation with the hope of, I want to honor God in how I respond right here. I want to honor Him with the decision I make to follow in obedience instead of following into a pattern of, it's not that big of a deal. The second truth for us is this, the nearness of God helps correct our fears. The nearness of God helps correct our fear. Uh, And so in verses 4 through 7, back in Luke 12, we see this, I say to you, my friends, don't fear those who kill the body, and after that can do nothing more. But I will show you the one to fear. Fear him who has authority to throw people into hell after death. Yes, I say to you, this is the one to fear. Aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet not one of them is forgotten in God's sight? Indeed, the hairs of your head are all counted. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. So in verses 4 through 5, we have the second instruction from Jesus. This is how you should live as a follower of me. And that instruction is, we are called to fear God over man. As followers of Christ, as children of God, we are to fear God over man. When thinking about the possibility of having to choose to do what man desires or to do what God desires us to do, we shouldn't let the fear of man dictate how we live. And in those situations, of course there's the temptation to worry what an individual might do to us, the way they might respond to us. And Jesus says, don't let fear of man dictate how you live in response to what it is that God desires. Instead, fear God more. Now, it's important that we understand he is not saying here that believers in Jesus can be thrown into hell if they don't live exactly the way they're supposed to live. If you have been saved, you are saved. You cannot lose your salvation. So the verse where he says, I want to show you the one to fear, fear him who has the authority to throw people into hell after death. If you've come to faith in Christ, you don't have to worry about that. You, there is no condemnation for you. But the statement is still true. As a follower of Jesus, as a child of God, a son and daughter of the Most High, We should look at what God desires for us and say, God has authority over everything. Not only could He take my life, but He has the authority to throw me into hell because of my sin, because of my rebellion. And I'm going to honor Him 
Because He rescued me out of that. He brought me out of the condemnation that I lived under. And so Jesus says, don't worry that a man can only take your life. And now we may think, well, yeah, but that's a big deal. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't want to lose my life. There's nothing wrong with thinking that way. He's just saying, remember, the, we need to honor God more with our obedience and not worry what man might do to us. And then in verse 11 to 12, we get the truth about... I'm sorry, not 11 to 12. Jump down in my notes. In verses 6 to 7, we get the truth about God that should impact the way that we live, should impact how we follow this. How we have the appropriate kind of fear, which is the fear of the Lord. And that truth is this. God knows you and God cares about you. He knows you personally and cares about you personally. He knows you more intimately than anyone in this world. And he references, Jesus references, just one of the most insignificant things in creation of that day. It's like, think about the sparrow. You can buy five sparrows for a couple of pennies. They're worth almost nothing from a world's standpoint. From a human standpoint, there's almost no value. And there's not one of them that could be sold that God doesn't know exactly what is happening with that bird. And so he said, so you, as one of his children, surely are so much more important. And God knows you. Better than you know yourself. Better than anyone else knows you. He knows the hairs on your head. Every one of them has been counted. And so that's the truth for us to hold on to. Uh, when we may be tempted to fear man and what they might do, man doesn't care about us. If they're a threat to us, and if they're a threat to our obedience to God, they don't care and so we fear God because God actually does care. He knows you and cares about you. He knows every single detail. And so that should change how we live because He knows us and because He cares about us. In Deuteronomy, the, the second giving of the law we see these words. I was uh, reminded this week, actually, when I was looking up verses on the fear of the Lord, about having like an appropriate reverence for who our God is, I was reminded that it's a phrase that is throughout the book of Deuteronomy. Over and over and over again, God is telling His people in this book, Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord over and over. And so in Deuteronomy 10, we see these words. Verse 12 and 13. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? Except to fear the Lord your God 
by walking in all his ways, to love him and to worship the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Keep the Lord's commands and statutes I am giving you today for your own good. What does God expect from you? Fear the Lord. And how do you do that? By walking in obedience. By doing what He wants you to do, not what man may want you to do if it's in opposition to God. So you show that you have the appropriate fear of the Lord by obeying Him. And then verse 13, He says, this is for your good. Now we don't like rules, Oftentimes, like we have often, I mean, there are rule followers. Some of you may be a rule follower, uh, but oftentimes we're, we want to rebel and push against the rules, right? But the rules are there for our good. And parents, you know that, right? You have expectations for your children, things that you tell them you can do this, you can't do this. They're for their good. Teenagers, we're not, your parents aren't just giving you rules because they want to ruin your life. It may feel like that, but it's for your good. And surely our perfect and good God, when He has given us rules for how we should live, they certainly are for our good. And following them in obedience is a way that we can show that we have a correct view of who we should fear in this world. That we're going to honor God instead of worrying what man might do if, if we choose to honor God instead of doing what they desire. And so church, let's remember that, right? Uh, the, when fear of what if this person thinks this about me or what if this person says this to me or what if they do this to me, when that fear comes to mind, let's use this reminder about who our God is, that He cares about you. He cares deeply about you. And He knows everything about you. Now let's use that to fight against fear. And let's use that as a, as a motivation to pursue a life of obedience. No, we're not going to be perfect, but God's wanting to change our hearts. He is changing our hearts. We talked about that last week, that Christ came to give us a new heart. And so now God's desire is live in that and follow me in obedience. Don't worry about man. Our third truth from Luke concerning the nearness of God is this. The nearness of God provides help in our time of need. The nearness of God provides help in our time of need. And don't we need that reminder that we have a helper, right? Verses 8 through 12. And I say to you, anyone who acknowledges me before others... The Son of Man will also acknowledge Him before the angels of God. But whoever denies Me before others will be denied before the angels of God. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Whenever they bring you before the synagogues and rulers and authorities, don't worry about how you should defend yourselves or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that very hour what must be said. 
So in 8 through 10, we get the third instruction from Jesus. Uh, This is how followers of me should live. And that is, we are to acknowledge Jesus before others, not deny Him. We are to acknowledge Jesus as our Lord, as our Savior. Acknowledge that we are a follower of Jesus before other people and not deny that. So that's the instruction for followers. Jesus looking ahead to a time which wouldn't be far from the days that He's speaking this, when followers of Christ will stand before rulers, will stand before Jewish authorities and be asked, are you a follower of Jesus? So looking to a time where their lives may actually be on the line and how they respond to this question. And Jesus says, in those moments, acknowledge me. Don't deny me before man. Acknowledge me. And he talks about it. By acknowledging me, you can know that you will be acknowledged in heaven before the angels, before God. That one's mine. But by denying me, by refusing to say, I'm a follower of Jesus, then you will be denied And verse 10, of course, provides, it's one of those verses that provides so many questions like, what's he saying? I, I remember uh, when I started like as a, as a teenager getting serious, probably my junior year, about reading my Bible. And I remember reading through the Gospels and coming to this verse and being terrified. Have I done this? It says, like, if you've blasphemed the Holy Spirit, then you cannot be forgiven. And I know there's lots of people that have wondered that. I went to my pastor at the time. I was like, what does this mean? Uh, Have I ever done this? And there's not a clear understanding of exactly the the meaning of all of this. It it seems to be Jesus saying... uh, if you live a life of persistent refusal to accept who Christ is, because the, the Spirit is revealing Him to us. He is opening our eyes to the truth of Jesus. And if we live an entire life with rejecting that truth and saying it, it, that is not true, Christ can't be who Scripture says He is, then there's no forgiveness out of that because we must come to the point where we have accepted Christ. Now, remember, Jesus is speaking to His followers. He's speaking to people who are His disciples. He's speaking to those who have been saved. And so, He gives a truth for us to hold on to. Right? Because you may worry, like, why don't, what if I didn't have what it takes in that moment? Like, where I was actually, my life was on the line, and I I don't say the right thing. Does that mean that I'm, I'm not going to be forgiven for that? And Jesus calms his people with this reminder. In the most terrifying moment of your life, when your life's on the line, (laughs) When, uh, when everything's falling apart and you are afraid, you don't have to worry. 
you don't have to worry because you're not alone. The truth to hold on to is that in the scariest of moments, we can remember God is right there with us. He is present with us. We are not alone. And then He will help us with what needs to happen. It says the Holy Spirit will teach you in that moment. He will actively help you say what it is that God wants you to say. And so the truth for us to hold on to, church, is God is with us in the hard stuff. God is with us in our time of need. He is there for us and will help us. We don't have to worry that that might not happen. Psalm 46. Nathan, did you reference this during your prayer? I think you did. God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in the times of trouble. Therefore, we will not be afraid. Though the earth trembles and the mountains topple into the depths of the sea, though the waters roar, though the water roars and foams and the mountains quake with its turmoil, and then skipping to verse 7, the Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. God is the helper that we need always. Right? He is a helper who is always found. Not He's found most of the times when you need Him. In the hardest of situations, when the world is falling apart around you, God is there with you. And He will help you through that time. And so church, let's remember that about our God. Because this world Oftentimes, we go through series, like periods of life where it does feel like the mountains are falling into the sea. It feels like everything that we know to be right is crumbling around us. It can be terrifying. And let's remember in those moments, you're not alone. God is with you in that. And God will help you through that. We have that promise And so church, let's hold on to that. And let's know that He will give us what we need to get us through. He will give us what we need to respond in those situations. And so let's use that knowledge that God is with us and He will help us. Let's use that to give us boldness in this broken and terrifying world. Give us boldness to say, I I am a follower of Christ. Let's use that to fight fear. Our God instructs us to put away hypocrisy, to fear Him over man, to boldly profess that we are followers of Jesus. And so as we strive to live this way, let's remember the nearness of God. Let's remember that He's always with us. The nearness of God helps us in these things to know that He actually cares about us. That He's actually, what He's commanding us to do, He's commanding us for our own 
good. And let's remember that He will help us through everything that we face. That's why Christ coming and putting on flesh and living amongst us is such an important thing to remember. Because it's a reminder. God came near. He's not the distant God that wound this world up and then let it go and doesn't care. He's proven that He cares about us because He sent His Son for us. He's not distant. He's not disengaged. And knowing that should change us and should change how we live in response to what He's called us to do. Now, if you're here and you don't know God, you don't have a relationship with Him, know that that's what He desires. Know that He's done everything to accomplish what's necessary for you to have that relationship so that you can be forgiven. And so if you want to know more about how you can have a relationship with God, if you want to know more about what Jesus has done for you to accomplish that, I'd love to speak with you. You can fill out one of the yellow response cards and just say, I'd like to schedule a time to meet with the pastor. I'd love to share the good news of the gospel with you. And church, let's pursue a life that honors Jesus. Because He has chosen to draw near to us, and since He has, let's let that change how we live. Let's pray. Father, You are good and faithful. We thank You that You have come near to us. We thank You that You are always near to us. We thank You that You actually do care about us and are involved in our world. Help us remember that. Help us trust you in the times of fear. Help us live lives of obedience to honor you, God. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.